This is the Discuss Metal Podcast with Joshua Toomey of Talk Toomey and Primer 55. Hosted by Dan Terry. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Discuss Metal Podcast. My name is Dan. I'll be your host for this evening. And uh, with me this week is actually another podcast host. It, which is Mr. Joshua Toomey of the Talk To Me podcast. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Like I was talking about a minute ago, uh, before all these lovely people could hear us talking, um, a lot of the stuff that I'm going to ask you tonight is kind of uh, stuff that you've probably already talked about on various other podcasts. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a lot of those stories and kind of meld them down into one uh, one, one cohesive uh, narrative. <laughs> I'm just curious to see if you've done your homework and... Uh... If you have any good uh, good questions for me, oh man, homework? No, 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 no. The the, the whole <laughs> the whole point the whole point of this is uh, is for you to talk more than me, which is kind of a challenge, I'll admit. But uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna try to keep this one uh, keep this one all about you, and uh, so I'm just gonna be kind of uh, guiding the conversation. So in guiding it, I have to ask where you grew up and uh, what got you into. Uh, into music primarily as a fan of music first. And then we'll move, we'll move later on into like when you started playing. Wow. We're going that far back, huh? Um, born and raised in Owensboro, Kentucky, the birthplace of Johnny Depp and myself. And, uh, yeah, we, then my dad and I, uh, after my parents divorced, moved to Nashville when I was around 10. And then, uh, Throughout all that time, though, I mean, I was getting into music. My older cousins, yeah, they, you know, they were checking out Kiss and Alice Cooper. And, uh, you know, I was listening to um, things like Jerry Lee Lewis and just, you know, just things you would listen to while living in Kentucky. And then we moved to Tennessee when I was roughly 10. Um, I had a friend that uh, that had Injustice for All kind of kind of got me into that. And then the Black Album by Metallica came out and. Uh, when I was about 11 or 12, that's when that came out and kind of uh, changed the course of my musical tastes for a very long time. Um, got me much into heavier stuff like Slayer and uh, that went on to Pantera. And uh, yeah, man. And then uh, somewhere in there, I started playing bass and, you know, uh, wanting to be Cliff Burton and Jason. Newstead and Rex. Yeah, I started playing music and just getting heavily into more music. And that would be into my teenage years. Nice. So what made you, uh, what made you decide to play? Uh, did you start on bass or did you play anything else prior to bass? Uh, I started on bass because everyone at my lunchroom in the, uh, set or I guess it was eighth grade. Everyone at my lunchroom table in the eighth grade was like, I want to be a guitar player. And, uh, my dad's actually, uh, had a friend that had a, uh, like a Southern rock tribute band. And we went to, um, we went to see his band practice and even going back further, my dad had a cousin who was like, he would show up to the family reunion with like the cutoff shirt, the permed hair, the big eighties glasses, you know, some, some cutoff shorts looked totally out of an eighties rock video. And uh, he was a drummer and I went over to his house one time, played his drums. And so from there I thought I was going to be a drummer and then so we go to this band practice a few years later and I was wanting to play the drums still and the drummer there was left handed. So I was like, well, shit, I can't, you know, play the drums on a left handed <laughs> drum kit. Right. 
So the bass player actually handed me his bass. He's like, we'll try this on. And I stood there and I'm like, this is awesome. And uh, from about that point on, I, uh, I started saving my allowance and lunch money and uh, saved up about a hundred bucks to buy a really crappy uh, P bass copy. When you started playing bass, did you immediately, were you playing just to play or it was there already like a band sort of situation going on? Uh, no, I was playing just to play. I would buy tab books and learned a ton of early Metallica. Um, that was also kind of the, you know, you would go buy Guitar World and they would have tab for, you know, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and things like that, too. So I was, I was kind of learning all of that stuff. And then um, through a friend, I I met a uh, I met some guys that were a couple of years older than me because I was in the eighth grade and the, these guys were like in the 10th grade. So they may might as well have been, you know, a thousand years older than me. But um, uh, one of them actually needed to borrow my bass because his bass player broke his bass or something. So I was like, yeah, that's fine. Just to kind of meet these guys so that they let I let them borrow my bass. And then the next time I saw him, I was actually playing. Uh, they, they needed a bass player. The uh, but yeah, I mean, by the time I made it to high school, uh, they needed a bass player. I was a bass player. But I mean, we were only doing like Metallica covers like we were just a straight up Metallica cover band at that time. Um, so a lot of Metallica covers. So no Megadeth, only Metallica. We didn't really straight into, into Megadeth. And and actually, I went down a deep dive about a year ago, even recently going down the the Dave Ellison rabbit hole of bass lines. There's zero chance I could have played those as a, uh, a 13, 14 year old kid. <laughs> it would have been rough. Well, that that's that was kind of my question, too, because I was like, you know, if you guys were playing Metallica covers and you, you know, were trying to learn more about more, learn more about the bass. Megadeth has kind of a, uh, a little bit more rich of a, well, I wouldn't say, I guess it depends on what era Metallica you're playing, right? Cause the Cliff Burton stuff was probably pretty, uh, pretty tough starting out. I would imagine. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, the first Metallica song I played from start to finish was for whom the bell tolls. Um, I mean, I would love to see how horribly I was playing it back then, but, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was definitely uh, an adventure into learning how to play bass. Now, was there like a, was there like a, I don't want to say a market, but like an audience for Metallica cover bands at the time, or was this just well, like, I guess, is this a garage thing or is this a, like you guys went out and would play some Metallica songs at like bars and stuff? Oh no, this was, this was a hundred percent just in the, actually my friend Eli lived in a uh, duplex and we practiced in his room. Uh, I, we played like, I think we played two parties and it was just, yeah, it was just Metallica covers, but I mean, it was 1990 three-ish yeah so yeah i mean yeah, there was a, there was definitely a market at the time for a for a good metallica cover band yeah it's wild because i <laughs> in st louis we we had nothing we, we never we never got to see anything like that i mean i'm sure there were tons of kids in garages playing metallica you know but um yeah we, you know we never got to see it but um what what led you into a band called 12 volt negative earth or were there bands before that uh, i mean honestly like the um, the Metallica cover band kind of morphed into, you know, we were playing a couple of some original stuff. Um, and then, uh, somewhere around my senior year of high school, uh, a friend of mine whose dad is big in the like flamenco guitar world. He had a, uh, a home studio. This is, you got to remember, this is Nashville, Tennessee, actually technically Hendersonville, Tennessee, um, you know, where Johnny Cash lived for years and Conway Twitty and, and like, there's just everyone, everyone's dad, except mine 
was in a band. Right. Like, you know, it's like I was like, oh, like, you know, my my friend Eli's, you know, ex-girlfriend was uh her dad was one of the Oak Ridge boys. I mean, it was just like <laughs> one of those, you know, everybody was somebody's aunt, uncle and all this other nonsense. So, you know, he had a uh a, an eight track recording studio at his house and this band Adrenaline Hammer had come to the, the house to record um, like just, you know, just an eight track demo. And that was the coolest demo I had ever heard. And we had a snow day at his house and we were playing, you know, Mike Tyson's punch out or something and just listening to that demo over and over. And I thought that the singer was the coolest dude I'd ever seen. Songs were awesome. Very, you know, life of agony ish. And, um, and I was like, man, this is, this is awesome. So my friend, ended up uh my friend jason barnett he ended up joining the band as a second guitar player and they started practicing at his house so the house i hung out at anyway became their practice space and uh so i would go you know just hang out like you know most kids do and uh, they were they were all i think just graduated high school i think they were maybe a year or two older than me so i was still senior in high school and they're they're coming over, they're rehearsing, you know, just just blowing me away. And that 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 people my age could be this good in a band. And uh, and one day, man, their bass player just didn't show up like he just didn't show up for whatever reason. And uh, and and like I was sitting there and they were like, like, man, we really need to find a bass player. And, you know, I'm like 17. And I'm like, um, excuse me. <laughs> like, um, I actually I'm a bass player and um. And they're like, well, you know, learn the learn a couple of these songs and have an audition type deal. And um, and I actually this is so strange. I actually auditioned with the old bass player there because he ended up leaving the band. He quit, but he still was friends with them. Right. So I ended up having to audition with the bass player there. Nervous as hell, uh, you know, got through the audition and um, I actually played a couple of shows with them kind of before they even told me I was in the band. <laughs> And, and, uh, so they were desperate. They, they needed somebody. The, well, they didn't want me in the band cause I was 17 and you know, the, a lot of the clubs were 18 and over clubs and stuff. So it was a really, and I was, I wasn't going to turn 18 for another nine months or so. And then after, um, you know, a couple of shows and I was, you know, I was flyering, you know, back in the day when we would fly or I would, I was making flyers and getting friends to shows and, you know, just doing, working as hard as I could to just get in this band. I was like, you know, was, I wanted it more than anything type deal. And after I think the second or third show, they, they, we got in the band together, uh, started doing some, uh, a few more shows under the name Adrenaline Hammer, which I never really cared for that name. But then we changed our name, uh, to 12 volt negative earth. Um, when would that be? That was like December of 96. <clears throat> and yeah. And then like, Literally, man, like we, the, the, the big club here was called Lucy's record shop and it held, uh, almost 200 people. And our first headlining show there, we sold it out and it was not a lot of, it wasn't just a thing where people showed up to that place all the time. It was like a, a true people were there to see us sell out. And so basically I'm still in high school selling out the cool punk rock club. It was awesome. <laughs> that is cool. And that was all, uh, that was all through old school flyer work, flyering word of mouth. Um, you know, the demo was floating around, um, you know I mean? I mean, they had had a following before I joined, it wasn't, you know, brand new, but I think that the, 
you know, the, I think it, everything was just kind of building to this this big crescendo. And it was weird because we we had the kind of fans that wouldn't go watch the opening band because it was an all ages club. They didn't sell beer. So they would all we we would all congregate in this bank parking lot across the street and everybody would have something in their cars, you know, some sort of alcoholic beverages in the car. And so you would go watch the opening bands and there would be 10, 15 people in there. And you, I would start to get nervous, like, like, man, tonight's going to suck really bad. And then we would, you know, go in, set up and basically turn around and the place would be full. It was it was so bizarre. But yeah, man, they would never go in and watch the opening bands. And it's funny because some of those opening bands would eventually be, you know, members of, you know, Five Finger Death Punch. Now you would have seen Chris Kale's early band Cut Love Kill or you would have seen St. Louis's own Big Blue Monkey a few times. You know, that became Story of the Year. So, I mean, we had tons of opening bands that would come through that that went on to to become, you know, massive bands. And then you guys ended up recording a re- recording. Was it a full length? I know it's all on Spotify now and I've been kind of. uh kind of thrown it on uh, every now and again to get myself <laughs> yeah. more well acquainted. But um, you guys ended up recording with uh, Fred Corey from Cinderella. Yeah. The original Fred Corey demo is not on Spotify. The original we did originally did like a, actually an entire album uh, with Fred Corey. And the way we met Fred Corey was uh, when I was working at a um, big use record store called the great escape in Nashville, uh, one of the guys moved uh, or not moved. He opened a used record store in Hendersonville, which is where I lived. It was on my way home from school. So I would go in and just talk to him every day. He was like a just he was just, the, you know, the record store guy. He was full of knowledge. You know, Mike Richards was his name uh, for, for friends on Facebook now, which is kind of awesome. But uh, I would go in there, man, and he would he would just tell me about the old days in Nashville and you know, playing, uh, you know, playing with the stray cats and just all this, all this crazy stuff from, from, uh, you know, obviously before I was in the scene and one day I went in there and he goes, uh, he's like, man, Fred Corey from Cinderella was just in here and, uh, he, he's opening a studio in town and he's looking for bands to record. And I was like, well, give him my number. You know, I've got my new band, you know, 12 volt negative earth. And, um, and so I got Fred's number and this has always been like the funny part looking back on it. Because this is 1996, 1997 when I talked to Fred and I kind of missed the glam thing. Like the glam thing just did not it it wasn't cool in 1997. You know, it it was it was over. And so there was a time where it was just like, oh, you record with that guy. You know, there was we got some blowback for working with him. Now it's cool. Now it's like, oh, man, you recorded with Fred Corey from Cinderella, the guy that played the Moscow Music Peace Festival. But uh, but back then it was kind of weird, man. We almost kind of got lumped into like a hair metal thing for a second before people heard us. So like, why are you working with that guy? But I learned a lot from him. I asked him a ton of questions. You know, he was I remember one day I went in with um, the kind of naive naivety of being 18, 17, 18. And we were playing our demo and I was like, man, we're going to have the best sound in demo in Nashville. <laughs> and he looked over at me and he goes, he goes, that's not how you want to think. You want to think you're having the best sounding demo in the world or something like, you know, think bigger. I was like, <laughs> oh, man, that's, you know, so wise, Fred Corey. But, yeah, it was it was really awesome to meet him. And uh, he, he took a liking to the band. And um, he was one of my first guests on Talk To Me. I know we're not there yet, but when I'm, and, uh, you know, I was asking him about his growing up and, and all that stuff. But then when I talked about the band time, I've had a lot of my friends say he really perks up when he talks about, 
you know, working with us and stuff. So I think he, I think he really enjoyed working with us. Uh, we actually ended up replacing our drummer while working with him. And for a minute, I think he was really trying to get in the band and we were like, no, Fred Corey, you can't be in our band. Oh no. Which again, now would be awesome, you know, back in 1997 to have, you know, it would be like having Brett Michaels join your band or something. Right. It's like the, the wise old man decides he wants to, uh, to, to go out, you know, on the adventure with everybody. It's like, no, right. no, no, no. We just want your knowledge. We, we can't be, we can't be seen <laughs> with you. And that is so weird how, how different yeah. perceptions, uh, were, especially back then where just the assumption of like, Oh, instead of people saying, Oh yeah, you're working with this, with this famous musician that has all these years of experience and wow, that's going to be really good for you. It's like, what do you guys hair metal now? <laughs> It's like, right. yeah, very, That's very, very saying. strange. I'd like to say people have changed yeah, since then, but I mean, not, not so much, not really. And we actually went out and, um, that's when I like, I was, we were, we were very life of agony influenced and then the new metal thing happened and we were very kind of in that vein of new metal and, and everything else. But we were also all listening to like punk rock and stuff. And like Henry Rollins is getting the van was, was something I read all the time. It was almost like a how to guide, how to be in a band. And so we would, uh, we came out the gate, man. Like I, I graduated in, in like June of 97 and we had our first ever, you know, quote unquote tour, I think booked within a month or two after that. And, uh, and we, <laughs> and we ended up picking up some shows on the, on the way on while we were out, you know, we would be off in a city and the club we were supposed to play in two days had a show today. And uh, so there was a day or there was two days where one day we had a day off and we were, we were in Indianapolis and I called Fred for something. I forget what I was calling him about. He's like, what are you guys doing? I was like, well, we have a day off. We're in Indianapolis hanging out. He's like, we'll get to St. Louis and you can open for us. Cause Cinderella had gone back out on, on the road. And so we drove from Indy to, to uh, St. Louis to open for Cinderella at pops. Oh, nice. And it was, it was very eye opening to see. I played pops a couple of times, you know, from, from, uh, 12 volt. And then even, uh, even in primer, we played at pops a couple of times, but I'd never seen that many people. Like there were people everywhere, like upstairs, downstairs, like just hanging, hanging off the rafters for Cinderella. Um, but then, so we play for play with uh, Cinderella. And then the next day we drive to Akron, Ohio, because we have a show like the day after, and we pull up to the venue where we're, we're supposed to play and earth crisis is playing. Oh, and nice. Earth Crisis and no one uh, that was on the tour with Earth Crisis made it to the show. Don't know what happened. Don't know why. So Earth Crisis has zero opening bands. And I hear them talking, you know, I hear people talking. And I'm like, well, we're here. We can open. And um, and so we ended up. So one night we opened for Cinderella. The next night we opened for Earth Crisis. <laughs> That's awesome. That's such a wide, a, a wide range of uh, of audience. Um, which right. uh, so out of those two shows, which 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 show do you think the band was the most well-received at? Uh, I think people really loved us at the, uh, the Cinderella show. I don't think people really, there was, that was the time when, when our style and hardcore didn't really mesh, you know, Matt, you know, uh, mesh, even though we were all big fans of earth crisis and Hebrew and all that stuff at the time, what we were playing was not uh, conducive to what they were doing. Well, it sounds like everything was going, you know, relatively well for the band. So I would be remiss to ask what uh, what ultimately ended up happening with that band. Um, well, I mean, over time, like we did the thing with Fred Corey. Uh, then we ended up recording the the first album that's on Spotify called Where Did All the Sunshine Go? 
they, the actually the, like the house engineer at the punk rock club that we uh, played also had a recording studio. So we assumed that that guy would know what we sounded like. And we went in and recorded it. I think we did it in like four days, four or five days, like start to finish. I mean that, you know, it's, it's fun listening to it now, but I mean, I, I, there's mess ups all over that thing, but it's, uh, you know, gives it the charm or something. Um, but we put that out, uh, you know, pressed it. We did the CD release. The CD release show was insane. Like they, they, they literally had to lock the door to the club because people were still trying to get in. <laughs> it was like, it was pandemonium at the, uh, 12 volt negative verse show. Um, um it, it was actually, I was just talking about this with our, one of our old guitar players the other day when we, we, we sold a ton of merch that night, like the most merch we'd ever sold ever. And we took out like a thousand dollar loan from our drummer's grandma. I mean, it was just one of those, like we had to find the money any way we could. And we ended up going back to our drummer's house and just set the money in stacks of like a hundred, like hundreds. And it was like, it was like, it was like we were breaking bad. I mean, there was just, it was like the most <laughs> money I'd ever seen in my life. You know, we paid off the loan. Uh, we had some, you know, some more money left over for, for this, that, and the other thing. The bad part about all of that was we, we never reinvested any of that stuff. It was like, if we made 30 bucks in a show, we'd be like, sweet, we all have $6, you know? Like, now let's never, immediately let's, go to McDonald's and, and yeah. Right. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's rough. Uh, nobody really really teaches band finance. So I mean, there, there. I mean, that's a lot of the early guests of the Talk to Me show and stuff like that. The um, were people I met through that time period because we were, you know, that was from '96 to about 2001, 2002 is when I was in that band, and we were constantly out, you know, touring weekends and and playing shows and. You know, we got to open for the Reform Misfits and we opened for, uh, uh, you know, Limp Biscuit on that on that album. We did. Um, yeah, there was just so many bands that came through that anytime a big band would come through, they would call, you know, the, the promoters would call and say, hey, do you guys want to open for this? Do you want to open for that? And, um, you know, so we ended up playing with a bunch of cool people playing the big, you know, local rock fest here and and uh, playing, uh, you know, they the. the had the big stage outside the Titan stadium, you know, got to play one of those festivals and things like this. So, I mean, there was always something going on. And then, um, like we said earlier that Fred Corey went on tour with Cinderella. Then he comes back to town. He sees that we've still progressed. He really liked the, uh, the first album, but he wanted to do a good sounding, you know, kind of second album type deal. So we ended up doing a, a, an EP with him. Uh, that's the baby steps EP, which is now on Spotify too. And then, uh, and then, you know, we were just continuing to shop the stuff and we actually got, you know, Monty Connor from Roadrunner reached out, had us do some more demos for him. We did, uh, we did some stuff for TVT records. We went to New York and did a showcase for him. So, I mean, it was like, people were kind of poking around seeing what we were doing, but, uh, but it never, it never amounted to much, but, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. So everybody just decided one day, like, yeah, I guess, I guess we're done doing this or, um, I mean, well, it was, <sighs> We had a, we were we were very Zayo-ish <laughs> in the fact that we changed members a lot. Um, I got you know, that we, reference. We had a few yeah. different <laughs> we had a few different drummers. We changed guitar players at one point. It was just kind of you know the the internal struggle struggle of a local band trying to trying to get to the next level. And you know we would go on tour, and this guy drank too much, and this guy would do this, and this guy would just get on my nerves because of that. And and then around two thousand. 2000, 2001, that's when um, the original post for the Primer 55 bass player popped up on the PRP. And 
through 12 volt negative earth, I had a relationship with the guy that runs the PRP who still runs the PRP. Um, and I emailed him and I said, Hey, you know, do you have a contact for, for, you know, Bobby Burns? He's like, yeah. Cause I'd actually met Bobby. Um, when baby steps came out, we weren't able to tour for some reason. I forget what it was, but so my drummer and I, we would actually, we were following corn's sick and twisted tour and we were just uh, selling CDs outside the venue for like five bucks a piece. And it was crazy. You could just walk up to a group of people and be like, Hey, I'm out selling this CD, blah, blah, blah. It's $5. And people were just buying them up. Like, you know, like no big deal. And, uh, so stained was on that tour and stained had an off show in Louisville and primer 55 was, uh, you know, the big local band. They had just had the new album come out. The first album came out and they were the opening band and then stained canceled. So primer ended up doing a full, you know, hour, hour and a half set. And I met Bobby afterwards and talked to him for a little while. And uh, there was just something really cool about him, man. He was just had an air about him. It was like, if you want to go somewhere, you know, get around this guy. And uh, and yeah, so, I mean, from that moment on, I was like, man, that Bobby Burns is one awesome dude. And uh, I want to be in a band with that guy. And so when the, the post came up that they were looking for a bass player, I ended up reaching out to him. And Nashville to Louisville is about three hours. So uh, I was actually coming up here to audition before the second album came out and then they would have drummers come in to audition. So I would come up and I would play those auditions too. Like I was in the mix for the, uh, for the bass player position. And, uh, I told him later on the story, which is kind of funny knowing the band dynamic now. And my move that I did was they, they were just like, we're still in the studio. We're still trying to find the right person. We really like you, but we don't know. And it, it was just a whole lot of like, dragging their feet <clears throat> and I'm still back home trying to do 12 volt. And, um, so it got to a point where I was just like, I need to know now. So I called Jason vocalist, Jason. And I was like, I need to know now if you, and if you can't tell me now, just pull my name, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do a power move on them. <laughs> Classic and, power and, play. And, and, he and then he basically says, you know, well, I can't say anything right now. And so I was just like, well, pull my name. And he was like, okay, <laughs> and then the next thing I know that they get, uh, uh, you know, Kobe from, uh, I don't know what band he was in before that, but yeah, Kobe Jackson ended up, you know, doing this, doing the initial touring for the second album. So that's, uh, that's, that's part of the, the primer story there. Yeah. So you, um, eventually though, they, they dropped that dude or he quit or something, something along those lines. And then had you put your name back into the hat, uh, at, at some point? Or was it just like they just remembered you and called you when they needed a bass player? So what, so what happened with the second time around was, uh, so I'm still in 12 volt and it's just like, it's just like we're, we're ramming our heads into the wall. Like it just wasn't coming together. And, and I just, I just packed up my stuff one day and I was just like, you know what guys, I'm done. I had no backup plan, you know, nothing in the works. And, and I, and I just kind of drove away and, 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 I had, I had like three contacts in music and it was, uh, Bobby Burns. It was, uh, Mikey from spine shank and probably Wookiee bus from the PRP. Like those are probably my three contacts I had. And I emailed all three of them. I'm like, Hey, I'm not in a band anymore. Anybody need a bass player kind of thing. And Bobby actually wrote me, wrote me back saying that he was going to start a, he wanted to start a side project after this next primer tour when he got home. He's like, come up to Louisville. I want to play you these demos. Tell me what you think. So I drove up to Louisville. We drove around the city. He had the, you know, the cassette in his car, a CD in his car, whatever. 
I mean, the demos were good, but it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what he played me. I was going to be like, yeah, I'm in. And, um, and so I was like, I was like, yeah, man, I'd love to do this. You know, when, when you get home from this tour, we're going to do this. And so I go back to, I was delivering pizza at the time. I go back to my delivery job. And one day he calls me and he's like, Hey man, Kobe quit or Kobe left, or we need a bass player. You know, can you learn the set in two days? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can learn the set in two days or whatever. And so, so yeah, he just sent me the list of songs to learn. I learned, you know, as best I could at the time. And, and, um, I actually bought a, uh, an, uh, edited version of the CD. And so one day when I was playing a uh, part of the CD, I was like, Hey, what's going on right here? He was like, is this the edited version? <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, it was the only one they had at, you know, the used record store. I was like, shut up. But, uh, but yeah, man. So I ended up uh, just kind of jumping on the the uh, they called it the twelve dollar riot tour. It was dope, Skin Lab, Primer Fifty Five, and Society One. And so yeah, so we, so basically, you know, one day I'm delivering pizza, the next day I'm in Brooklyn, you know, playing Lamores with, you know, Primer. It was pretty nuts, man. It was it was uh, for as much as I thought I knew from Twelve Volt, it was definitely an entirely new world being out there in a you know quote unquote pro uh, professional band. Sure. Yeah, it had to have been a totally different world. And um, did that ever take any kind of any any kind of toll on you as far as like, because I know you you had traveled with with twelve volt, but it doesn't sound like it was kind of quite at the same level. Uh, was it was it kind of something to get used to, or were you just like ready for it, like ready for the road? Uh, I mean, I was definitely ready for the road. I mean, we had done twelve volt did these like you know couple week tours at a time or extended weekends. You know, we we drove across country a few times to play, you know, in Arizona and things like that. So, I mean, we we had traveled a lot. Um, and this was, I think, six weeks of touring. So, I mean, it was definitely a, you know, they always talk about like war tour being, you know, uh, punk rock boot camp or something. You know, this was definitely a wake up call into kind of how to be in a band, how to look in a band, how to act in a band. It was it was it was definitely much different. It definitely was not. I met these dudes as a kid and we grew up together and now we've made it. It was, I was walking into a band that had already made it and was established and was, uh, was almost, you know, more of a business than, a, uh, you know, like a brotherhood kind of thing. Sure. I mean, just the, the concept of having to learn all of these new personality types and learn yeah. how to kind of get along while also having the dynamic of being the new guy. Oh, it was that, that part was awful. Like they, I've said this before a couple of times, but I mean, they all collectively hated each other, but I was the new guy. So they kind of came together to kind of just give me shit. Like it was on a much smaller level and a minute level. It was kind of like the hazing that they gave Jason Newstead and Metallica. It was like, you know, where they just, they just kind of gave him shit the entire time he was in the band. Like there were, there were definitely trips where I, I was wearing headphones, listening to whatever CD and, the CD would go off, but I would leave the headphones on because I knew if I had the headphones on, they thought I was listening to music and they wouldn't bother me. But it was like, as soon as I took the headphones off, it was like, it was like time to give you shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so after being, being hazed for uh, a, a good amount of time, I mean, I feel like that was kind of the era of primer where, you know, they'd kind of just, I don't want to say fizzled out because it sounds like according to you that, that primer went on for, a considerable amount of time after uh, putting out that second record. Yeah. I mean, well, the second album came out in 2001 
Um, I joined the band in 2002. We did that tour. And then after that tour, we came home. And actually, that's when the band did dissolve after that. And we, Bobby and I did do the side band after, uh, for a while, it actually included um, Jason Daunt from Flaw was in it for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, but that, that, but that went absolutely nowhere. And so from 2004 to 2007, um, you know, we did a little bit of music here and there. I mean, I played in, I filled in for bass with this, like, you know, a band out of South Carolina that needed a bass player for a quick tour. And the reason I did the quick tour in, um, the band, they were out of Myrtle beach. And the reason I did it, it was like, I saw the, t- the tour itinerary and they played CBGB's. I was like, well, fuck, I get to play CBGBs <laughs> if I do this gig. Right. So, so I did that, that quick tour. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the legendary CBG. It was like 2004, I think when I did that. And so it was kind of the end of, end of CBGBs. It was still cool to be there still, but I mean, it's not like anybody was there to see me. Um, it was just cool to play that room. But yeah, I mean, I just did some, some stuff here and there. I did a couple other local bands, you know, here in town. Um, and then in 2007, I got the itch to play again because I'd stopped playing for a year or so. Sounds like a very small amount of time talking about it now, but it seemed like forever back then. <clears throat> but um, but as soon as I was like kind of put myself back out there, I joined another another band, and then I get rumblings that Primer is putting out a, a kind of a greatest hits or no a B sides album, and that they were going to talk about tour touring on it. And I call Bobby and I'm like, hey, you know what's this deal about? This album, he's like, well, we're about to go on tour and I guess we do need a bass player and you were the last bass player. So I guess it's you. Right. So, uh, so um, we ended thank up doing you. A, another, yeah. another, yeah, right. Yeah. It wasn't like a, uh, uh, you know, a huge, well, you know, party coming home, but it was, you know, Bobby and I were always cool through all that. That's the one thing that, you know, Bobby has a, has a really bad reputation in the, the scene or in the music business to kind of being hard to work with. But, um, I think I broke through the barriers with him and he actually ended up being one of my better friends through all that stuff. So we ended up doing, um, another, another run in 2007 and that's when our singer lost his mind and he ended up quitting or we fired him, whatever we did at the time. And we ended up getting a replacement singer that was just terrible. That always and sounded so bizarre. Cause I remember reading about that. I was like, how can you just grab another guy from a legacy act? And just throw them up on stage to play the song. Like it just, it's, it's strange now. I mean, I get why it was yeah. done, but it's just very strange. Well, I mean, we just had a tour booked. We took a couple of days off. We, you know, found this other dude and we just kept going. It was like, you know, just when the, it's kind of like when the wheels are turning, you know, you just kind of, kind of got to keep it going. And, uh, and so, yeah, we did, we did what we had to do to keep it going. But man, this, <laughs> this dude that we had, he had all the lyrics printed out. He had them on the stage and I remember one night he just pissed me off and I kicked him. <clears throat> I kicked him into the crowd <laughs> and they ended up tearing him up. It was kind of, you know, it was like Alice Cooper throwing that chicken into the crowd or whatever. It right. just like they just tore him all to pieces. But yeah, I was just so out. Me and that guy did not get along. But, um, but yeah, and then we ended up, uh, ended up coming home and we had another tour coming up. And it was just one of those things where, you know, I was making more money at the job that I had. And I, you know, I had a young son at the time. And a young, my, my, you know, my daughter was young at the time, I thought I was at the time too. And so it was just, it was pointless. It was like, there's, there's no reason to be on tour playing Joe's bar and grill to eight people in, you know, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Like this is, this is going nowhere kind of thing. So actually I told him originally that I was just going to take a, you know, take a tour off kind of deal. 
and save some money up and, and, you know, we'll do some stuff next time kind of deal. And, you know, next time never came. Sure. Yeah. Hey, give me one second. Yeah, go ahead. I had to get some more water. I know this is, this is kind of a weird, weird role reversal here, but uh, I feel like total garbage. So I appreciate you so much for this. <laughs> because <laughs> I, oh Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that like, I've heard you talk about, you know, as far as like bands and stuff like that, but I've never really gotten to have it kind of strung together in a narrative that, that makes sense. Um, so I try to right. try to make these as autobiographical as possible. So, you know, again, never happened. And I mean, in 2007, it's not like you guys were going out and like new metal was like having the resurgence that it's having now. Like, I feel like if a band like primer yeah. went on tour, like right now, it would be like a totally different story. Well, obviously not right now, but you know what I'm saying? Um, but like, right. you know, uh, within the last year or two, you know, um, had gone out on tour, it would have been a, probably a different story. So did you just kind of stop playing for a number of years or was, is, is there really a gap or I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, is the, uh, the gap in my, in my, uh, in this story for me is where, you know, primer had kind of gone away and you're saying that's 2007 versus whenever you started the podcast. Yeah. The, um, Let's see, 2007, early 2008 is when I left Primer, didn't come back. Uh, 2009, we did a 10-year anniversary 12-volt Negative Earth show. And somewhere around there is when I started working. I started working in like residential uh, care for um, like abused kids. And, um, so I did that for like three years and that was, that job took a toll. Like it's just, you know, social work kind of stuff, but you're also dealing with, with kids that live in a group home. And so, yeah, I did that until like 2012 ish, 2013. I just, honestly, it was too hard to go to work every day at that at some point, uh, 2013 ish. Actually, I got up and played a little bit with primer at a show here, uh, right outside Louisville. Uh, did a did a song with them that night, and then 2000, you know, 2014 comes around. Um, I started kind of started checking out internet radio. I still wasn't listening to podcasts yet, um, but internet radio stations were kind of starting to pop up, and even you know, Sirius Satellite Radio was probably still big at the time. Pandora was all that huge stuff. at that time. Yeah, yeah, Pand- yeah, Pandora was definitely huge. So, so I was looking into how to become like kind of like an online DJ. <clears throat> and so I had some friends back from 12 old negative birthdays that um, were uh, the local buzz, you know, the local, the, you know, Sunday nights at 10, you know, the local show. Um, I reached out to my friend, Al John go, who, who did, uh, who did the local show. And I'm like, Hey, what does it take to, to do internet radio? And honestly, it was kind of funny. He never actually got back to me. And then almost a year to the day, um, I got a job with my current job with the post office and the building that I work in doesn't get good internet. Like, you know, you doesn't get any, you know, on your phone or whatever, your phone's data plan doesn't work in there. So I was trying to find stuff to download to listen to while I was at work. And, you know, I started looking into it. Obviously the big names popped up, you know, Josta show, Joe Rogan, Chris Hardwick at the time, all that stuff. So I started listening to podcasts and then about a year later, it, the whole time I'm like, and I can do this. I think, I think I could do this. You know, it's like the more I listen, I'm like, eh, I can do this. And, um, yeah, so that just kind of takes you to about 2000, what, 15. 
And I was sitting on the couch and I looked at my wife at the time and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm going to, I think I'm going to start a podcast. <laughs> yeah. And then I think I'm going to call it. And then I was like, well, I think I want to call it either. It was the two names were talk to me or speak to me. And, uh, obviously I went with talk to me and ordered a mic off Amazon. And I, I literally just recorded an interview and like within a week, put it up. Like there was no promotion. There was no nothing. It was just, Hey, I have a podcast now, even on the first episode of the podcast, I go and on, and on, you know, and the guest this week is blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right. I didn't even say like, Hey, this is, you know, it was just like a continuation from a, uh, a week that never happened. Sure. Well, and so do you had to just kind of on the fly, learn how to like edit and post and oh yeah, and get hosting and all of that stuff. Yeah. It was pretty much just the, like the first hosting site that I saw that didn't seem like a scam and, and how to edit and you know how to i think there was an episode that i've had a, i've had the guy jason t smith on my show a lot he was uh reality tv thrift hunters and things like that and he uh and i was like hey man i would like to have you on my show because this was i was trying to find guests anywhere i could <clears throat> and uh he's like well let me check out your show and i sent him you know an episode and i played a song after the interview and the interview was really quiet and then the song comes out and like, like boom, just yeah. blew out. He's like, man, he's like, he's like, man, you really need to check your levels. And I was like, <laughs> I guess I do. And, and, uh, you know, that's when I, I got a little bit more involved in the, uh, in the levels and everything else. But yeah, so it was definitely a learning experience. I don't think I, I don't think I liked an episode of my podcast until like episode 20. I think the Mark, the first Mark Rizzo episode was the one where I was like, all right, now, now I like this, but. But not that I I don't listen to him and I can't listen to him at all now anyway because I can't stand the sound of my voice. But <laughs> yeah, I feel that for for me, not for you. Uh, but like the uh, the the cool thing that that I noticed about your podcast right away um, whenever I was introduced, it was actually Travis from As the Story Grows that got me turned on to talk to me, and um, it was it was interesting to me, like just the, the, the caliber of guests, uh, that you had at the time. I mean, I think you were probably, you were either at already almost a hundred episodes or maybe even more, you know, when I started listening, um, and I was just completely blown away. Um, what was the struggle like as far as like trying to get bigger name guests earlier on? Um, and the type of, cause like, I know from my own experience, which I won't get into here, that 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 can be a little bit kind of an uphill battle. Well, uh, I mean, the the crazy part about the whole getting the big name guests on it was it it, it kind of came went back to all these shows that I played growing up, <clears throat> just not being a dick. You know, it was it was making friends with everybody, and um, and so my first you know my first episode was Barry Donigan, who was kind of a local guy in Nashville, had a band called Look What or has a band called Look What I Did. And I was like, well, I, you know, I'll reach out to him and interview him. And I was like, all right, cool. Episode two was, you know, uh, Billy Gray from Fozzie, who Billy Gray, the second time we did Primer was in Primer. So, I mean, I was in the band with him. Third, third, get, third guest, third guest out of the gate is uh, uh, Frank Threegren from Hatebreed, who I had had a uh, email relationship with because he posted about liking Kiss memorabilia. I had a piece of Kiss memorabilia that he didn't have. You know, I, I sold it to him for a good price. And then so when I had a podcast, I'm like, hey, you know, I have a podcast. Would you like to do it? He's like, sure. Fred Corey, episode four, obviously easy get. Episode five, Bobby Burns. Episode six, Chris Kale from Five Finger Death Punch. Chris Kale, 
he replaced me and he was in 12 volt negative earth after I left the third, uh, the third, uh, 12 volt album that's on Spotify, the heroes defeated album. He's on that. You know, he played bass on that and saying, saying backups on that. So it's like, I've known him since 1996, 97, you know? So it's just like one of those things, a virus episode seven, obviously toured with dope. And so when you go to the new guests, you know, whoever it was, I think, you know, episode nine, uh, Alexis Brown from straight line stitch. I know I've known her since she was like 16 because she had, uh, local bands in Nashville. So, I mean, it was, it was a lot of people I knew from back in the day. So you start to get to kind of get that roster together of, of, of big names. And so when you go to the publicist or you go to the artist Facebook or something, you can be, Hey, you know, I had Chris Kell from five finger death punch on the show. Right. And they're like, Oh, well you, you must be legit. So here's, you know, Joey Z from life of agony or something, you know, it's, it's, it's all smoke and mirrors over here at the, uh, talk to me compound. Or they come back at you and say, uh, well, how many followers do you have on Facebook? <laughs> yeah, or like, right. You're like, I'm sorry, this, uh, this, this is, <laughs> yeah, I hate that question. How many downloads do you have? I'm like, ah, enough. All of them. Yeah. I, I have all the yeah. downloads. Yeah. Like, don't even worry yeah. about it. That was, that was the thing that, that really stood out to me. And, you know, it makes sense. And it's weird too, because I think I listened to maybe like 15 or 16 episodes before I realized that you were, that you had been in primer and <laughs> that it was, that it was this whole thing. And, um, so that was, that was super cool. And I know that you're like super chill and you never get intimidated about talking to anybody, you know, ever, but if you ever did, what, uh, what interview made you the most nervous, uh, going into it? Uh, let's see. Uh, I mean, early on, I mean, I had Jim Brewer on early and that freaked me the fuck out Yeah. Um, and getting, getting home for that one. But there's one that I always go back to, which is, uh, where's it at? Jeff Walker of carcass. Ah, um, that was a good one. It, it was just like, he's one of those dudes that, that, you know, growing up watching headbangers ball and just loving hard work. Like hard work was my jam for so many years. And then and then, you know, basically I was emailing back and forth with him and he's doing the interview and, and like, that's the one that got, got home from work and I was super nervous. That one, I mean, even the day, obviously David Ellison of Megadeth, he was on really early too, like episode 40. So, I mean, there was, there was definitely some big names early on and it was all just from connections and, you know, getting the, you know, <laughs> in, in biblical terms, you know, this guest, that guest, you know, right. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you just kind of, kind of work that way. And, and yeah, so, so early on, man, I was getting those, those big, you know, big name guests right out the gate. It was crazy. What's been the, what's been the most difficult thing for you as far as, uh, as far as maintaining a podcast for as long as you have, I mean, you've been in the game for more than a minute at this point. Uh, just the main thing, just trying to just keep it interesting and keep it going and just finding the, you know, there, there are definitely weeks where I'm like, I, the main thing that, that works for me is the fact that I have a set day that I put it out on. Like if I didn't have a set day that I put it out on, I mean, there are a lot of times that, you know, I might put it out on, you know, they should came out on, on should come out on Thursdays. So, you know, if it's a big guest that say something crazy, they might come out on Wednesday, but if it's, you know, or I might slack and put it out on Friday, but for the most part, they come out on Thursday. So, I mean, that's the, that's the thing where, you know, if by Monday and Tuesday, you're like, shit, I got to get this together. You know, if it was the thing where you just put it out whenever you have a guest and you're done with the episode, I don't think I would nearly have as many episodes. Sure. So you, um, have recently started a new podcast, um, all yes. about, um, your favorite band in the entire world, uh, Pantera. So, um, 
I guess it'd be kind of dumb for me to ask you what inspired you to start that podcast <laughs> um, because I already know what the answer is, but uh, I'll ask it anyway. So like what, what made you feel like that there was a, a lack of Pantera podcasts out there? Well, the fact that there are zero Pantera podcasts out there, uh, you know, it's, it's, I had always talked about doing a Metallica one and that was before, you know, Ryan J Downey's and, and, uh, metal up your podcast. Or yeah. Whatever. yeah like that those, was great. Yeah. There's, there was a few that kind of popped up and I was like, well, that, that idea is taken. And, um, I've been talking about this for a long time for probably two years. Like, just like, I really, you know, it was like somebody needs to do a Pantera podcast. And I brought it up to my wife, you know, a few months ago and she's like, well, why don't you do it? I'm like, I don't know. You know, and then you got to do this. You got to do that. She's like, just do it. And I'm like, <laughs> Well, you know, and it's funny, my my first guest was Terry Glaze, the original singer of Pantera, the, you know, the, that was on the first three albums. I had messaged him on Facebook two years ago um, to come on Talk To Me, and he never got back to me. And I was like, well, you know, whatever. He just, uh, he might not be doing interviews or whatever. And I just, the other day, I the other day, you know, when I'm starting to look at, because the basis of the Pantera podcast, Drag the Waters, the Pantera podcast, is to get people in the Pantera world, obviously members, past members, the crew members, people that worked on albums, and then also kind of in the vein of Speak and Destroy, a band that may have toured with them or a band that was, or, or a band member that was inspired by them, just a big fan kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's a pretty wide universe because Pantera, unlike a lot of bands, you know, they put out the home videos and the home videos would uh, shine a spotlight on the crew. So, I mean, there's, there's crew members of Pantera that Pantera fans know as well as the band. So there's, there's a lot of people kind of in that, in that world of Pantera. And so I go back and I'm, I'm starting to look, through my phone again because I have I'm friends with a lot of them on Facebook not like buddies but you know a friend on Facebook as as much as that's a friend and uh, I was messaging a couple of them again like hey I'm doing this project kind of based on Pantera would love to talk to you about Pantera and Terry Glaze actually got back to me this time he was like oh man I didn't see your last messages sometimes they get lost in the shuffle but I was like well actually this is perfect timing because who was the best guest to have on the first episode other than someone that's was in the, you know, basically on the first album. So it kind of worked out, man. It was, it was a very cool, very cool conversation. Very cool to talk to that guy. Um, I said on the, on the episode today that he, uh, you know, the interview is about 35 minutes, but we talked for another 35 minutes after the, after the thing was off. And, uh, you know, it was, it was very, very cool to, to talk to somebody that was kind of, you know, there at the beginning. That's one of the coolest things about doing these shows too, doing these interviews is the, the, the stuff that you get to talk about in a non-official capacity, I think, is 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 almost... Yeah. There, there's been plenty of interviews that I've done where I almost wish that we had recorded what we talked about after we were done recording. Then, oh, yeah. uh, you know, but obviously, uh, you know, not not all that stuff is, oh, is always... Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, once you say, like, you know, thanks for coming on, appreciate you, you know, the interview's over, and, and uh, you know, the unspoken rule of... Even though it might be recorded, you can't post the good stuff. Right, right. Absolutely. But uh, no, that's cool. And so this isn't just going to be like a series type of thing. This is this is going to be an ongoing. Um, is, is it going to be weekly or just kind of I guess it would be dependent on how easy it'll be to get a hold of everybody. Right. Yeah, I've got the second. Uh, I don't I don't know when this is going to be released, but I've got the second uh, interview recorded. I interviewed the, uh, the, the co-author of the Rex Brown book, Mark Anglington, um, kind of got the inside story of working with Rex and even being around, uh, cause he went on a, 
a tour with down for a few shows. So he was kind of around that camp for a little bit. And, and uh, there's obviously a lot of turmoil around the Rex Brown book. Uh, so he kind of explained his side of the story with all that stuff too. So yeah. So episode two is kind of, kind of right out the gate fun too. Well, that's awesome. There's a lot to look forward to then um, in the future. I think content, I think diversification of content has kind of been the thing I've noticed, especially this year in lockdown that we've kind of all been doing as podcasters is kind of yeah. throwing. I mean, this is, this is technically a sub podcast and that's technically a sub podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, it's really yeah. cool. Um, it's really cool to see that because everybody's kind of just sitting around wondering what's going to happen. And um, it almost feels like an obligation at this point to give people more content, <laughs> something, something else right. to do. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing with um, also, you know, with, with talk to me being the main show, I mean, and you've listened enough episodes to know that, you know, if, if the band, I'm, if the guy that I'm talking to toured with Pantera at some point, I'm going to ask him, Hey, you toured with Pantera in 1994. What was that like? You know? And so, so it's kind of been a running theme through the, the show anyway. And I'm actually taking clips from the old shows, the old talk to me's and putting them in the new show. So like the show with uh, Terry Glaze, I went back to uh, my first t- talk with Max Cavalera. Uh, Cause he answered the question of, you know, like what was Dimebag like? And uh, he, I, 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 he had this great story about these camouflage pants yeah. that Dimebag, Dimebag bought him. And it always sticks with me. Like the way he says, a dime bag bought him camouflage pants. <laughs> new wave, new wave yeah, colored so, uh, camouflage pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that that was fun to to pull that one up. I mean, you know, I can go through and, and pull, you know, pull different stories out too. So it's gonna be a lot of fun, and it's just it's just honestly just keeps me interested in it. And uh, and yeah, so it's it's you know the the main show is obviously still going to be interview based, and you know I, I think I. I did the Diablos and Podcastica stuff with Ian Wildley of Rock and Metal Combat, which was way more just commentary based. Yeah. And I think I just know my I think I just know my lane. I think my lane is just interviewing people because (laughs) I just I I don't care. I don't care about other people's opinions about music enough to want to argue with them about it. And that's all that show ended up being was just one giant argument. Gotcha. So. I can relate so to that. It, it was just, you know, as soon as, as soon as the episode came out, it was just like, it's like, I don't even remember saying that. Why is everybody talking about this one section? I was like, all right, whatever. So it just, <laughs> it just got to a point where it's a little bit, a little bit too much, uh, too much, like just rolling my eyes at people's opinions on my comments. Like, you know, like whatever, if you don't like what I say, then my bad. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, thanks so much, man, for coming out and, and, uh, for coming out for, for, for dialing, for sitting in your own home and, and, and dialing a, a computer phone. I think that's what it is. A computer phone and, uh, and having this yeah. chat. And I think, I think, I think this is going to be cool. And, um, if, if you guys haven't checked out the talk to me podcast, I'm not really sure what you're doing, but you need to go in and look, it is a 100% bingeable podcast. <laughs> and, uh, there, there's plenty of content for you guys to check out. So I will leave a link in our show notes that will, uh, take you to the world of joshua toomey and um thanks so much man this was this was fun i appreciate it man and make sure you guys go check out that uh 12 volt of earth on spotify that's uh that's cool that that's all out there now too absolutely <laughs> get that uh get that uh spotify revenue there you go yeah i need my need all my money and that was my chat with joshua toomey of the talk to me podcast also the bassist of Primer 55. This was a fun chat. Uh, I've been talking with Toomey for, uh, well, quite a few years now. I guess maybe like three, four years, something like that. 
Um, he was one of my favorite podcasts to listen to uh, before I got into podcasting myself. And uh, it was really, really cool getting to dig into his history as a musician, what got him into music, what got him into all of these things, and uh, what ultimately inspired him to pick up the microphone and do the damn thing, uh, just like we've been doing it, and uh, how he kind of gave uh, guys like me and Joe and Jeff, you know, kind of an inspiration to uh, let our voice be heard and eventually, you know, to actually get to talk to people. And so uh, his interview style is unmatched. He's one of the best dudes out there. Uh, as far as entertainment in heavy music or even not even not always heavy music. Uh, dude is just a, a pleasure to talk to, a pleasure to listen to. So if you want to follow the Talk To Me podcast, you can listen to him on every major podcast platform that's out there. And uh, guys, if you're enjoying the Discuss Metal podcast, reach out to us. Let us know who you want to hear us talk to, and we will do our absolute best to make it happen. There's all kinds of ways you can reach out to us. You can follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. You can send us an email at show at gmail.com. You can go to our website, DiscussMetal.com. You can go to our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash Discography Discussion. You can join our official group there. We have a Discord server that you can take part in. There will be a link in the show notes that will take you right to our Discord server. And there are so many different ways you can reach out to us. So uh, please do so. We love hearing from you guys. We hope everybody's had a great Thanksgiving this year, at least you guys that are stateside. And uh, if not, I, I still, even if you don't live in the States, hope that you had a great year. We've got a great industrial December lined up for you on Discography Discussion. So definitely look forward to that. And for the Discuss Metal podcast, I am Dan, and I hope to hear it from you guys very, very, very soon. This has been Discuss Metal with Joshua Toomey. Presented by DiscussMetal.com.